One Emotional Podcast, Conversations for Inspiration on the Go. We offer on-the-go inspiration because our whole heart is set on beauty and our best bets are set on art. Hi, Fabian. How are you today? Welcome to Luan Podcast. Hi, Marion. So nice to be with you. Mm, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today, I have this special person and a dear friend of mine, Fabian Fortmuller, and he's a Swiss community builder that lives in Amsterdam. Fabian co-founded the Together Institute. This is a not-for-profit not, not organization dedicated to building, caring, engaging, and healthy relationships in communities, networks, neighborhoods, organizations, and society at large. Fabian is also the co-author of the Community Canvas. This is an amazing thing that I love for people to go and check it out because this Community Canvas is an open source framework to support community builders across the globe. And Fabian is an innovator in residence for the Kaufman Foundation. In the past, Fabian co-founded Sandbox, which is how we know each other. This is a global community of young changemakers with 1,200 active members in more than 40 hubs around the world. And together with Dave Radvapar and Mike Radvapar, Fabian co-founded Holsti. This is an organization providing tools for a meaningful life. The organization's manifesto, the Holsti manifesto, and I would love to, love to talk about this too because I love this manifesto, has been shared over 120 million times online and was described by the Washington Post as the new just do it thing. I love this. He's a frequent speaker at events and organizations around the world and the topic of building communities, authentic brand, values-driven organizations, and social entrepreneurship. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts in London and has been recognized as top 99 under 33 foreign policy leaders by the Diplomatic Courier in 2011. Wow, Fabian. What an impressive resume. And I want to ask you, what's the purpose and the benefits of impact networks? What have you seen around the world in your career about community building and why we need them? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, we're in a funny time where I think we're becoming more and more aware that we have these big, I think the time right now has never been as good as now and never been as bad as now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I think what's happening is that we have these really big issues and challenges like climate change or poverty or inequality um, where there is not a clear solution that will fit it. Mm -hmm. It's highly complex. It's systemic. And how do you go about solving something that is complex? Um, I think networks and communities are a very clear and practical way actually of approaching um, very complex issues because complex issues in the end of the day are connected from one thing to the other, they're relationships, they're relational. Um, and I think one way to do it is um, by bringing those people who are working on all dimensions of these challenges to bring together and bring them into relationships with each other. And that's what that's why I get very excited about that. And that sometimes these issues can be very big, climate change, or they can be very small, like what happens with our street? Mm -hmm. What what makes the street better? Um, and I think um, if there's one th red thread that goes through my work and what I believe in is that in the end of the day, whatever I look at in life, I see relationships. And um, and the same thing with these big challenges that we see out there right now. 
I don't know what that brings up for you, Marion. Yes, I think that eventually we need to understand about the power of uh, the collective, right, instead of the individual, in the sense that, you know, realizing that every single action that we're making every day has an impact in the collective. That could be for something good or for something bad, right? And that's why we focus a lot in Luan in the ethical decision making, because we're mm. every day we're making decisions, right? And each decision that we make is impacting in a good way or in a bad way or in a neutral way to the community that we're living in. Meaning mm -hmm. uh, it could be our company, it could be, you know, our close friend circle, our family, it could be our country, it could be our planet, right? And, you know, something that, you know, if I find fascinating, it's about, for example, the mycelium in trees. That's a perfect example about the power of community and how important it is to having, you know, communities that, that thrive. Because as you mentioned, everything is about relationships and the connection that we're making with one another, not only with ourselves, but with one another. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer, especially, you know, through the, through the experience, for example, in Sandbox, right? About the people that you meet and the impact that people are having in your life. And probably maybe you don't even know the impact that you're having in other people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly having this butterfly effect with every person that we're meeting and every person that we're being with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think... Um... The way I think about this is also on the level almost of story of how we look at the world. Um, and I think this is like, this kind of language for me is inspired by this like American author called Charles Eisenstein. And, um, but it's really also like very present in indigenous cultures across the world, which is that there's two ways of looking at the world. Our current world looks at the world as everything is separated. I am separate from you. I'm separate from the people outside. I'm separate from this tree out here. Everything is kind of separate. In the end, we're all these like atoms in our cells and, and there's, there's space between us, there's separation. And if that story is true, then you have to fight really hard to make as much for yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. There's another story, which is that everything is actually already totally connected with everything. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not that separate from you. Um, like my energy and your energy right now will like, there will, something will affect each other. You know, the same actually with the tree outside, the same with our family, the same with our neighbors, the same with, with people who are very far away from us. There is a relationship. We're actually already in relationship with each other. The question is what kind of relationship is it? And I, I, I believe in that second story. I believe that everything actually is already connected that everything is connected to everything. But the question is, what kind of relationship is it? And in many cases right now, these relationships are not healthy. They're not just, they're not, they're not right. Um, and, um, and I think part of the question that, that I think is really interesting in this time right now is to ask what makes this relationship to each other, to the tree, to the people around it, a healthy relationship because it is a relationship no matter what. Um, and that's for me, like, um, kind of almost on the level of story, um, a perspective that, that shifts. And, you know, the thing you bring up is like what we've seen in our own lives and experiences is that when you start believing in that story and when you start investing in into that story, it's amazing of like, mm, the abundance that comes from that, right? The, the generosity you can experience from that. And while in the individual story, I feel like I have to fight for myself. I have to 
become as wealthy as possible. I have to, it's a hard life and you have to like fight to survive. In the other story, there, there is so much, there is so much there. There's so much that people have. And, and, um, yeah. And I think that's, that's the story I choose to believe. Um, and also a, a story I want to make possible and make more reality and make a healthier reality, because I think then um, a lot of these challenges we have right now, even climate change, is a is a is a is a story of of a not not the right relationship we have, right? Um, or inequality and whatnot. So, I don't know what that what that brings up for you. Totally, and what you just mentioned about this feeling of separateness just reminded me of Eric Fromm, you know, in his book The Art of Loving, that he says that you know we're born with this sense of feeling separated from everybody else, especially, you know, even though we are born, well, some of us could be born inside, you know, a family or, or, or some of us could be born, you know, without a family. And uh, that feeling of separateness, of being separated from the other exists, you know, just by the reality that we have right now. And, um, and what Eric Fromm says is that by loving, no, the, the art of loving, the benefit of it is that eventually you feel that those, that, that separate separateness, that, you know, uh, distance that we have between one another actually merges and ceases to exist. And that's why, you know, we can experience fraternal love or couples love or parental love or siblings love or, you know, and different kinds of love by, by activating, you know, through love, this, um, kind of like, uh, connection between one and, one and another person, um, eliminating that barrier that we think we have. Right. Mm. And, and I think that sometimes when we're in community, right what gets activated it's some kind of emotions right it could be in sometimes you know uh loving emotions right in others as you say like unjust emotions but in you know by living in tribe and community in in a village we're having you know these emotions that at some point makes us feel more connected yeah in, and as you say with both the good and the bad i mean i think also like relationships as you know, we experience every day, maybe with our romantic partners or with whatever, or with family is that the bad is, is just, you know, conflicts, whatever, these things are actually part of relationships too. Um, but it needs, I think it needs, it's a skill. It's a muscle to learn also how to work with them. We work as romantic couples. We learn as romantic couples to, you know, have healthy conflicts. Um, but, um, as society or as, yeah, like, do we learn this as neighbors? Do we learn this as, as society? I think that's, that's also kind of when the not so great emotions are actually super important and super productive. Totally. Totally. And I want to ask you, Fabian, what is the main difference between communities and networks? How can you differentiate both? Yeah. Um, for me, the main difference is one in the quality of relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, everything is a network. Mm -hmm. Every, everything is a network where network just means things are connected for me, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't necessarily say how deep is something connected. Mm -hmm. A community is a very particular type of network, mm -hmm. which these are my words. This is not the def definition, but this is how I think about it is that community is a network that, um, has a level of trust where there is deeper relationship um, there's a sense of belonging. Like we are in this together. These are my people. 
um, where there's a sense of care, uh, where there's maybe a sense of values and principles yes. in there. Um, and often when there is um, the, 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 the relationships are more dense, they're more kind of closely connected than just in a network. So really it's, it's a community is a network, but I think it's a more, uh, a stronger kind of network, a more trusting network, a more caring network. Um, and while a network can be, can be anything, you know, mm -hmm. does the size matter? Kind of in the sense that communities tend to be smaller and networks tend to be bigger or not necessarily? Yeah, I think so. I do think so. Actually, the, the, the longer I do community work, the, the more I think that size matters a lot. And mm -hmm. that um, um, I, I think, um, for example, in the example of Sandbox, you know, there were the, there are these like local hubs mm -hmm. um, and then there's like the, the region and then there's maybe the global. Mm -hmm. um, and the same exists in nature, which is fractals, right? Like you have a fractal and then you zoom out or you zoom in. Mm -hmm. And in this way, size can go quite big, mm -hmm. but, but it has to almost like have a small unit at the moment, uh, it, at the center of it. And what I mean by that is that my, my intuition tells me that if you're part of a community where you don't feel real connectivity, maybe intimacy, real connection, real like trust to someone, mm -hmm. it's not really going to be a, a community. And I think if you're in a group of a thousand people or 2000 people, that's very hard to feel. Yeah. But if you're in a group of 20 people, that's very easy to feel. Yeah. Um, and so I think to build a, a community of 5,000 people is very hard, but to yeah. build a community that has 30 groups of 20 people each, that is very possible. So I do think there's limitations in, in, um, in size. And, you know, the other thing is that one thing we have to consider is that many of us are part of not just one community, but of many communities okay. at the same time. And so I think that limits actually the, um, you know, you probably heard of this Dunbar number of like, you know, like you can have like connect the relationships with 150 people at a time. And then people say, oh, we should make communities of 150 people. But that assumes those are all of your relationships. Yes. But really, you are have, you're like in 20 communities. Some of them you're at the center and some of them you're at the periphery. Um, so I think the real, the number in most communities, in my opinion, are too big mm. um, in order to be, to be healthy. What would be the ideal size of a community in your personal experience? Yeah, again, I think it has to be the fractal thing. I, I think that communities start with five people. They start with 10 people. I, I don't really know like what the, the top number is, but I know that when you start, that you start with a, with a table. Mm -hmm. I always think like the community starts with like who fits around the table. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the people you can really be in conversation with, you can build friendship with, you can build connection with, and then, then it can grow. Then like yeah. you can like bring more people in. Um, I think whenever the moment the group becomes more than like a hundred people, um, you need, you need to start to have like different subgroups um, because it's just very hard to be in relationship with, with a lot of people at the same time mm -hmm. and organization being so more heavy. Like, you notice like as someone who organizes community, like organizing for 20, 30 people, it's quite easy. Mm -hmm. Um, organizing for hundred people, all of a sudden you need to like have a special venue. You need to have a reservation. It becomes more expensive. These things really matter. Um, and, and I think organizing for like 10, 20 people is just cheap, easy, simple. And so it becomes easy to replicate. Mm. I think it's for me, it's more about uh, things like that. So like practicalities, which, which also, um, size really matters.
Mm, totally. And what you mentioned about, you know, fractal growth, no, it's funny how we are constantly in contact with nature and, you know, you know, this term bio, biomimicry, right? That we, that we get, you know, information design, uh, you know, architecture, you know, that comes from nature and, you know, the fractal growth, no, we've seen it with the Fibonacci uh, seashell, yeah. no? kind of, or like the yeah. um, RL proportion as well about how, you know, how the trees grow, how the yeah. bees reproduce, right? It's always kind of like the sum of the last number. So if you have no one and zero, it's one, then two and one are three, three and two are five, five and three are eight and so on, right? Yeah. It continues repeating until then you have this exponential growth. And it seems yeah. that, you know, we're still, we're still having those math inside yeah. our communities or inside the relationships that we're having, which that is fascinating. Yeah. I think what you're describing is what good community could be. Um, I also experienced actually a little bit different that a lot of, um, I think in this, especially in the last century, um, and still in this century as well, I think our main mindset is not natural. Our main mindset is mechanical, is engineering. And I think that has also been really deeply influencing the way we think about communities to some extent as well. Sometimes when I explain to people, what do you do for work? I do community work. They assume I work with Facebook or I work, you know, like with mm -hmm. like social networks because the association with community right now is actually very often technical. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I think the engineering mindset is, is actually really unhealthy for communities. It assumes, for example, that communities can be planned. It assumed that, um, you know, you can just like, there's a blueprint where you exactly do these things. And then like, that's kind of like, that's how you get like the, the community machine. Um, also scale, you know, the, the idea of scale um, is also a very me mechanical engineering form when it's not fractal based. And I 100% agree with you that I think nature is the best teacher when it comes to, to community. Um, I also feel that we have so much still to learn there from nature where we're only starting right now. We have so much like, um, I give you an example, like what, how, how we're trying to bring like nature into our community work. For example, nature works in cycles. Everything is cyclical in nature. Um, it starts, it grows, it, it nourishes, and then it decays and it dies and it cycles back again. Most communities right now, they don't want to go for a cycle of, of, you know, growth and death. They want to, that's also a mechanical thing. It has to always be on. It has always to be nourished. Thriving. Yeah. And it also has to like linearly grow, right? Mm -hmm. It's not nature does this. Nature does not do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of the mechanical mindset. For example, that's something that, that, that I think about a lot. Like how do you bring cyclicalness, um, into, into how we do this because nature does it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a little, little example. And how do you manage this, this cyclical movements inside communities? Kind of like what you propose in kind of like, you know, we need to let the community decay and then kind of like plant the new seeds again, and then make it grow and then make it nourish and then kind of like reproduce itself and then decay again. Right. Yeah. And do you think that eventually that would give you a stronger community or that could help that could, you know, make people kind of like, you know, fade away a little bit, whichever decay, because if you have the mechanical mindset, eventually you might not feel related of this kind of like death and reborn of these new cycles. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful question. My, my sense is you, your, your intuition is spot on. Like my, 
the way, for example, we think about cyclical is that everything is cyclical in a community and it goes from the individual to the subgroups to the big group where they all go through moments of strong activity to low activity. On the individual level, you know, right now, like 10 years ago, you were super active in Sandbox and you were like hosting things and organizing things so much. And then came another phase where you became more like maybe a participant in it, you know, and you became more like someone who would not organize, but go. And then now you're in, you know, now you're outside of Mexico city and like, you can't really go to an event. So you actually rather like on the outside of it, like mm -hmm. that's very normal as that individuals go for the cyclical, but they also maybe in like five years, it will be really interesting for you mm -hmm. again. And you'll be like up in the thing, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, so individuals have to cyclical, but now think about it. Like, the whole group has to cycle too. Like, okay, the uh, the hub in uh, when I was in New York, the New York City hub. When I was there, it was like a lot of things going on, and then afterwards it was like not so active, and it came active again, and then like it was like super un inactive for a while. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that there's two ways to think about that. One is frustration and fighting it, mm -hmm. and one is acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I used to fight it. I used to think like, oh my God, no, the, the Mexico city hub now Marion is like leaving or something. It's going to like, there's not much going to happen. Um, and it's going to go into like a, a, a moment of like pause and decay, right. Of winter. It's going to go into a, a season of winter. And I would be very worried about it and try to like push it against that. by like trying to find new members, like activating members. But by now I realized that is so much pressure on yourself and it's not healthy. Really what you need to do is let that group go through that phase. And mm -hmm. then when the energy comes back, it comes back. Of and, and I think also as an individual, um, what we often have is like as members, we have a binary idea of what a member is. You're mm -hmm. either an active member or you're a passive, not a member, mm -hmm. but the reality is so much more like, fluid like you might be an active member now and then you're not an active member and you want to maybe like then host something and i think one way how the cyclical can come in in my opinion is that ideally a community has every year for example the cycle comes to an end and you have a moment of choice and after a year you ask marion like how would you like to be involved in the next season mm -hmm. do you want to step in kind of as an active member, do you want to be an observer on the outside? Are you on sabbatical? Do you want to just be a friend of the community for a while? Or do you want, is this something interesting? You want to play a more active role, but, um, we can't just do this once we have to do it again with every cycle because you will change the group will change. And so we have to build this in. So that's kind of one, one example of how I think about the cyclical yeah. in the, in the community. I love it. And we need to honor and respect that cyclical movement right because constantly yeah. i feel that you know the only thing that we have constant is change but you yeah. know we are a human species that it seems like as a species i know that it depends on each person but as a species it seems like you know a lot of people don't like change right and yeah we keep things static and like you know grasping things to stay the way they are and there's nothing static that we have you know, yeah. there's night and totally. day, there's seasons, you know, there's a flow of water. It's like, it's like almost, there are a few things that they actually stay as they are. Right. Totally. Even, 
in like cities, for example, like Chernobyl, no? that you know, a lot of people was out, were forced to live outside of there. And now, you know, nature is going like with its full force inside, right? Yeah. And, you know, we've seen all of these, you no, know, like Angkor Wat over in uh, Cambodia and many other places, right? That is, you know, going through cycles. Maybe some cycles could be in a month and other cycles could be in a hundred years. But exactly. everything is changing constantly. And sometimes we feel that we're not that comfortable with that change, right? Absolutely. And now think about it, um, if you had to visualize a community, you know, again, like the, the, the mechanical mindset is like, oh, this is like a fixed network, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a router here and a router here, a router here. But a community really, if you had to like visualize it, yeah. it's like, it's a living being, right? It's like, it's like, it's, you can't grasp it. It's like, it's here, it's there, it's moving, it's, it's evolving. It's like, it's like a being that's constantly alive mm -hmm. um, and it, it is just like nature like it is really like just a nature is not is not just like it's not a mechanical thing that is just there mm -hmm. it moves it breathes um, and um yeah and i think that's mm -hmm. yeah, exactly and i wanted to ask you about four things that i think that they are quite important in building communities. And I want to ask your opinion about this. The first one is the power of trust. The second, the power of connection. The third one, the power of vulnerability. And the fourth one, the power of intimacy. Yeah. How important are these four things inside building community? And is there a specific order between them? Yeah, um, yeah, you named all the right ingredients, I think. Um, um... Yeah, for me, they're all they're all actually the same thing to some extent. Um, they're all almost different perspectives on the same thing. Maybe from one you look at it from the side, and one from the front, and one from from the bottom. But it's kind of the same thing. And um, trust is just describes how what the quality of the relationship is between um, belonging. Um, and connection is just another word for relationships. Connection is kind of like the values neutral word for relationship. Mm -hmm. Trust is a strong relationship or a kind of a trust relationship. Mm -hmm. um, belonging is that is when relationship becomes identity. Mm -hmm. When you're like, oh, Marion, you and I, there's not just a you and I, there's a we. Mm -hmm. We are in this together. Um, and that is incredibly powerful for us as a, I think as, a, as humans, we are social beings um, and we want to feel like I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And I do think that when you come back to the story, so much in today's story is a story of aloneness, of individualism, of like, you have to like fight for yourself and belonging is kind of the other story where it's like, no, you're part of something, you're mm -hmm. part of something bigger. Um, and I think as humans, we need that so deeply. It's like, it's like, it's a feeling of safety. It's a feeling of care. It's, it's feeling of a bigger purpose than myself, you know, to be part of it. And then I think intimacy is also, I see is, is kind of in that same mixture where I just, how do you really have a relationship that you feel something mm. where you, where you like, it's not just a transaction, but it's really it's an emotion. Um, so I see them all kind of in the same ball. I see them also at the, at the very essence, at the center of, of, of the community. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, yeah. those are kind of like the, 
building bricks of what makes a relationship, right? And yeah, exactly. what I like about intimacy is that there's this book called The Presence Process by Michael Brown. And he says that intimacy, it's actually into me, you see, you know, oh, kind of like, you know, being able to see all the way inside of me, you know, and, yeah. and, and myself letting you see that into me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's funny because there's no intimacy if, if there's no trust, right? Yeah. And there's no trust yeah. if there is no belonging, right? And you mentioned the word vulnerability, right? It's like, you have to be vulnerable to let someone see into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You. And, and if, if, if you're not fostering these values, for example, in some communities nowadays, because there are some, you know, different values, some communities are, or networks are more about what do you do? Right. Mm -hmm. And like, tell me about your career and like stuff like that. And people will be like, oh, so I did this and I did that. And it's everything kind of like on the crust, right? You're not actually digging deep. You're not actually telling like everybody, like, how do you feel? Or like, yeah. oh, when you did this at your work, did you feel scared? Did you yeah. feel, um, I don't know, that you were not understood? Did you felt that you were criticized? You know, kind of like, you know, give me kind of like the meat, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't want yeah. constantly the, oh, I did this and I conquered this, which that is amazing, of course. Yeah. But sometimes like on this, on the superhero stories, right? We're constantly seeing kind of like Superman, right? Arriving at the moment that the world needs Superman to go and like save the girl or like save the world or whatever it is that Superman saves right but i want to get to know the behind the scenes like was superman flying and thinking oh my god will i be able to save her oh my god what if i fall oh my god what if i screw up oh my god what if I, what if actually my i don't know my cape flies off exactly my cape is the flies off and, and it's not working what if you know i want to see that behind the scenes and that is actually that vulnerability you know the moments that we don't trust ourselves or the moments that we hesitate the moments of doubt and there's actually where we have the ability to make those decisions. So what can you tell us about that behind the scenes inside community where actually the, the emotional network gets built? Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful question. I, um, um, you know, I think that again, like I'm playing a lot today with this like idea of like two stories, like the one of separation and the one of like connectedness and, and, and everything being connected to each other. And I think, um, in, if you assume that you are totally separate from the other person, it makes sense to tell your best story. Mm. That is the smartest thing to do. You should tell your best story because you want to look strong because you, you need to survive. You need to come forward in a story where actually you, Marion and I, we are actually kind of already deeply connected the best thing I can do is show you who I, what's really happening inside of me. So you can really connect to that because really like we can, when we see someone's vulnerability, we, we feel less alone. We feel like, Oh, I'm not the only one who is as fucked up as this, you know, um, or I'm not the only one who has fears or I'm not the only one, whatever it is. And, and that's why vulnerability is a really beautiful, and true way of opening it's it's who we really truly are you know um and and to connect in that way i do think um vulnerability has also become quite trendy these days and i i have been in environments where um vulnerability almost comes too fast uh i i find that um 
for me personally, I feel like vulnerability has to be earned. If mm -hmm. I don't know you, if we start talking about, if we don't know each other and let's say the facilitator says, tell each other something very like vulnerable and open, uh, that is not very, that's not safe. Mm. That is not, that is not a smart thing. Actually, it's not very safe, especially in today's environment because true vulnerability is risky. Mm. You're opening up a wound and you're showing that wound to the other person. And, and I think it has to be earned over time. You need to create an environment where people feel safe, maybe where people feel brave, um, where people can say like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm slowly getting there to open up. And what I've seen in some communities is fake vulnerability mm. where people tell stories that are a little bit like, oh, something bad happened, but really it's also kind of like, it, it actually shows them in a very strong light and, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Um, but it, it doesn't really, it doesn't, again, it comes from that story of like, I want to, I want to look good. And vulnerability has become one of these like things where they're kind of trendy. Everyone has read Brene Brown and it's like, okay. I'm going to look vulnerable, but I'm going to look it in, I'm going to do it in a cool way. Yeah. And, and unfortunately then it, or fortunately that it doesn't work. Um, and, um, and so I think it, it just needs also, it needs time. It needs safety. It needs caring facilitation. It needs role modeling. I think mm. one of the things I think about a lot in community is role modeling. Mm. Like if, like, you know, when I walked into like the events you organized in Mexico city, everyone looked at you and looked at like, how were you treating people? How were you welcoming people? How were you like inviting people? And from that, they were like, ah, this is, this is what the vibes are in this group. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't have to write it down. And often I would say, um, there's, there's also many communities who have nice value statement and mission statements and whatnot. That's okay. That can be important, but having someone in the community who lives these and role models, these values, I think is so much more powerful. And that's how we, that's how we learn. That's like, I look at you and be like, Oh, mm -hmm. all right. That's nice. I, yeah. I'm going to be like that too now. It's more important the example, right? Than yeah. The words. Yeah. yeah. To live it, not just to talk about it. Exactly. And complimenting a little bit about what you were saying about vulnerability. I think that vulnerability also, I agree with you that, you know, it needs to be earned and sometimes it's like just way too frontal or way too open. And I think also that vulnerability needs courage. And sometimes we don't even talk about the courage or the fear that it, that it actually creates, you know, being vulnerable. And it yeah. just reminded me of this amazing quote from Dan Fredingborg. Do you know it, Fabian? From what? This quote from Dan Fredingborg. No. no. I would like to read it because I think mm -hmm. this this answer or well, this, this, this quote that I'm, I'm about to read for me, like when I heard it, it was, I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe. And it hit so hard and here it goes. So yeah. Yeah, Dan Fredingberg, a Google executive uh, who was killed during the 2015 Nepal earthquake, uh, was asked, what is the greatest risk you have ever taken? And his response was, while climbing Karsten's Pyramid, the tallest mountain in Oceania, a fellow climber fell, lost all of her blood and nearly died of hypothermia. Had we returned on the six day trek through the jungle that we used on the way in, she would have certainly died. To rescue her, I smuggled her through Grasberg Mine, the largest gold mine in the world. Along the way, we risked being shot by mercenaries, had our friends kidnapped and held hostage, and then were ultimately arrested and imprisoned inside a jail inside the gold mine. 
And I was on Mount Everest this year when an ice serac fell into the icefall and killed all but my team on the mountain. Afterwards, we executed body recovery and then climbed back down through the damage route. But these were mostly calculated risks. If I had to select the greatest risk I've ever taken in my life, it has been to throw myself into a romantic relationship with someone to reach a point of deep, illogical and visceral love, to a point where emotion and human connection overpowers any reason and safety, to be vulnerable psychologically and emotionally. This is real risk with the greatest reward. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think it's also, you know, I think our our society does not look at opening up and speaking about things as real, that risky, I think, or that, that or it's, it's a different kind of bravery. It's also often, I think there's also a male, a gender stereotype associated with it, where it's like, for females, that's easier to do. And for, for men, that's like maybe harder to do, but it's not, it's not a, there's some kind of like stereotyping there, which is, um, which I don't know. It just, it doesn't reward it. It doesn't like, it's like, it's actually, I think for example, in it, there are like a lot of, you know, a female type of intelligence with, with, with these kind of things. And, but it's real courage that's behind that. Um, and, um, yeah. And I do think a question that I, I don't know the answer to, but that you brought up for me now is like, how can I increase that courage in, in the communities I work with? Like what's a way to, to create an environment of, of, of courage. And my intuition is there is no short, easy way to do it. I think humans are messy. Humans are slow. Humans are, we change very incrementally. We don't change with big steps, you know, and I think the same thing happens in community. And so, yeah, I guess, I'm just rambling here, like with, with a question, but it's, it's a beautiful quote. It really gets mm. me thinking about courage. When I think about the question that you just raised, I think, you know, when you watch someone being courageous in whatever thing that person is going through in her or his life, I think that inspires a lot. Right. And if yeah. you are maybe in a community and you bring up the conversation about courage and you open the conversation about when, in which time in your life, maybe have you had fear and, you know, with that earned, you know, trust and with that earned vulnerability, I think listening to other people's stories can actually, you know, help you ponder you know, reflect about where do you stand with your own courage? Right. And, and yeah. the other day I, I read this quote that said that the point of being alive, just by the, by your mere ex existence, it reflects that you have a lot of courage because you're constantly using mm. courage to live better, to try to live better. Right. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think in the, in the, in the, in the, in the context of community, you know, I think hope, hope, you know, we talk about, um, um, holding space is like, is, is one of these words that's been quite used, is, is, is quite tricky, is being used a lot these days, like hold space for each other. And I do think that is, that is real skill that, um, that is so crucial because I think, um, if someone is being really courageous and open and vulnerable, but if the space is not being held for that, it can be very, it can be really depth. Mm. 
challenging and um, possibly traumatizing experience. Mm. And I think our responsibility also as community weavers is to either us or find the people to really hold space for these things. And some communities do not have the capacity to hold space for those kind of conversations. They don't have they don't have the muscle for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to recognize that and then maybe to bring in outside hosts and fist, there, there are people who are really good at that, mm-hmm. um, but it's a very unique skill. And I think there's, uh, I, in some communities, I see that they they do that too easily. Um, and then people step forward into courage, but it, that is, that has, that is, a, that is a gift that they're giving you. And you have to be really <laughs> careful with that gift. A hundred percent. And I can't wait to ask you, uh, by listening to you and all of these, you know, knowledge, uh, you co-created the community canvas, right? And I love this community canvas because I think it's kind of like a step-by-step guide that it guides you through how you can build a meaningful community and a community that connects, right? Not a network, but a community. And honestly, I, I love your work on this. I want to ask you, how it is designed and how was the process behind designing it? It's, it's interesting because we're actually now working on a set on a new version, mm-hmm. um, of a framework. Um, and so we are deeply in that process uh, right now. Um, parts of it has been just interviewing, um, community builders and asking them like for actually the question that we are having at the center for, um, this version is, what makes a community healthy? What makes a community thrive? So not just what makes a community, but what makes a community healthy? What makes a community flourish? What makes a community thrive? And so part of it has been like primary research by talking to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of it has been secondary research, reading deeper into these topics. Um, and also we've been over the last two, three years, we've been running these learning journeys mm-hmm. where we take people who run communities usually like a group of like 20 people or so. And we take them over 10 sessions mm-hmm. uh, where we go through um, a framework and, and, and we, and we've learned a lot from hosting that and from the people in there. And there are certain struggles that certain patterns that we see uh, that a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these patterns are around, um, a lot of people feel like, oh, how do I, what I do with my passive people? I have all these passive people. How do I engage them? Um, um, people struggle with conflict. Oh, conflict is there. What do we do about it? Um, there's questions around, often questions around money. Like how do we resource ourselves? So there are certain patterns and questions that are starting to emerge, which in the first version of the community, we didn't have such a strong opinion maybe yet, what is good and what is bad. And now I think we're starting to, have more of an opinion um, and, and we're hoping to in the next like three, four months, have something to, to share with the world about that. Amazing. Please let us know when you release it. We would like to be there <laughs> in, the, in, the, yeah. in the front line <laughs> watching this new version. And I wanted to ask you about diversity because in most of the communities that I've been or, or that I've seen, you know, uh, close to me, it could be, you know, Sandbox, Summit, Reality, Hatch, uh, Global Shapers and so on. Yes, of course you have that um, diversity in the sense of people from different backgrounds or, you know, uh, gender or skin color or religion, or you have that, but 
in the end, I've seen that in those communities, you find kind of like, like people like you, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you foster community building with like groups of people that, that show a lot of diversity? Because for example, yeah. sandbox, sandbox, no? it's also kind of like people similar to you, Summit as well, right? And even though, mm -hmm. you know, Sandbox and Summit and other networks are, you know, I don't know how many countries around the world, but maybe, what, 140 countries around the world, maybe? And, mm -hmm. um, and at the end, you kind of like have this sense of there's people similar to you, but how would you foster a community where you have different diversity of backgrounds and, you know, like more richness in the diversity? Mm. Yeah, I, I think about that question a lot. Um, and I don't have, I don't actually have a good answer to it. Um, what I've learned is that most communities want diversity, but most communities don't actually have the capabilities to, again, similar to like, uh, the vulnerability before mm -hmm. most communities want diversity, but, um, I think truly to have diversity, you need to be able to hold conversations and hold diversion of thoughts, diversion, um, true diversion of thoughts. And, and I think we're also talking about, you know, if you want to build truly diverse communities, I think we have to, um, be willing to invite questions of, um, colonialism, uh, mm -hmm. racism, collective trauma, um, into the center of the of of the conversation if you truly want want uh want that if we want people who um have been traditionally oppressed to be part of the community which is really what like we're not talking about like that we need to have more white people more white males in these communities that it's often about how do you bring more um people of color people from the global south people from less privileged backgrounds and and my sense is that most of these groups say they want this, but I, I feel like, and I, I, I'm in the same boat. I feel like I don't actually have the, the muscle, the understanding to then really truly host these kind of conversations, um, and to work for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that's, um, that's one thing. Um, I think the, I think true diversity ideally starts at the very center of the community. Like who are the founders, who are the initiators, um, you know, sandbox was started by like, um, a bunch of white, white, uh, German speaking guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is in the, is in the center of the DNA still a little bit to some extent today. Um, and you probably will never be able to fully, fully get away from that. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful now, for example, Netra, uh, who's right, right running, um, sandbox that she is beyond that. And I, I would love to ask her like how how she reflects back on that. But I think that it's very hard to change the DNA later on. Mm -hmm. And to, I personally don't think that simply adding on diversity later on by like inviting some people from a more diverse group works. Um, I think it has to be a super intentional process. It has to be at the core. It has to, um, and you have to be willing to face some really difficult um, conversations. So yeah. I, that's, that's kind of one of the learning edges for me. And, and I've been in communities where, um, there were some amazing facilitators, amazing community weavers, and we were not able to hold true conversations around diversity because yeah. it's like, you know, okay, let's talk about racism. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about colonialism. Okay. Let's talk about like privilege and like why 
some of these people here in the room have a lot of money and why others have not like where is that coming from um or let's talk about like you know cultural genocide of indigenous people um how and, and then like you know re reconcile and heal that and come to a place of of healing and and, and, and truth and acceptance that's that's next level um and it's definitely it feels like it feels like something I, I want to learn, but I don't feel like I'm actually able to, to truly hold. Um, mm -hmm. There are some practitioners who, who are good at this, um, um, but I think they're very few. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Also because diversity, doing those, those exercises around diversity, right? About racism and about, you know, kind of like getting that connection between people from different backgrounds and different opportunities it actually creates um, this empathy and this compassion between groups. So I think that's one of the most important, you know, values, of course, diversity has many values, but I think creating compassion and empathy through different groups of people actually creates even more um, this human connection because you understand and you've seen all of these kind of like social projects. I don't know if you've seen them, but they, there was one that they went into a public school in the States and they put everybody like, you know, starting at the same line. And they asked, mm. like, you've been abused by verbally abused by your parents, you know, uh, take a step. Well, no, it was actually the other way around. It was, uh, they did one in jail that, that every time that, you know, that, that the inmates were, you know, like abused or child's or, you know, um, beaten up by someone in their community and so on, they would step a step forward and you could see the difference of, you know, uh, most of them were actually having very difficult childhoods. And the other one that I was mentioning you about the school is was, it was like, did you, uh, had your parents that they, they didn't get divorced, take a step. You were born white, take a, take a step. You were mm. born in a place where you have, I don't know, economic, you know, um, opportunities security yeah take a step and then you saw the difference between someone that didn't have opportunities and the other one before they were reaching you know the the um the goal and you know of course the opportunities were like pfft, so it's ridiculous you know that we're uh you know in a world where we're where, where not everybody has the same opportunities and it's really mm -hmm. important to create that empathy that empathy mm. around around privilege and around racism, around you know many many things that we have in our society that are also impacting the networks and the communities that we are you know involved with, right? Mm. Yeah, well said. And you know, I think you know, I think Sandbox is quite an empathetic community um, in, in some extent, and and yet true conversations about racism or true conversations about colonialism or true conversation about like. Uh, systemic inequality or privilege or whatnot, I think they they only happen maybe on the fringes and 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 I think it's and uh, and I used to think like I, I still want to build really diverse communities and um, I think I um, uh, it, it's kind of similar to the vulnerability ring um, for a diverse quote unquote for a diverse person to become part of this community is actually really risky sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because, um, I don't know to then talk about racism, um, they have to share their story. They get maybe re traumatized by it. Um, they have to make, make a point. Um, if you truly talk about racism, it's, it's super personal. Everyone yeah. gets triggered by it. And, um, again, I'm not saying this, 
to say that this is not important, but I'm saying that this, 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 this is like the skills we need to develop in the 21st century is like, how can we hold spaces to have these conversations um, in a healing way, in, mm -hmm. in a generative way? Um, and I think we, most groups just don't have that. Mm. Um, and in the absence of that, if you just invite, uh, you know, some people of color to your event or your communities, it's just so it looks more diverse. I think you're doing sometimes more a disservice to, to, to these, or I think it can be honestly quite, uh, it feels kind of colonial to some extent in, uh, sometimes for me. So, um, yeah, you can see, I'm clearly don't know exactly how to deal with this, but I feel very strongly that it's something to, to learn about and to go mm -hmm. deeper into. Totally, totally. And I would love to uh, talk a little bit about the Hosti Manifesto, which I love. Yeah. And we'll uh, read it for the people who are listening to this and they have the whole thing. Before. The whole thing. It would be fast. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> and if you could tell us a little bit about how did you arrive uh, to this? Was it something that you all, that you knew all the way and you just put it down? Was it something that you discovered as you were growing up? Was it something that you had kind of like, you know, when lightning strike, <laughs> you know, what was yeah. it? So I'm going to read it. This is wait, your wait, life. Before you read it, yes. wait, wait, before you read, it, I'll give a little bit of context so people know. Yeah. Um, I think it might, it might make sense. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I might feel, I might, I might flush and feel slightly embarrassed when you read it because I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I don't know quite why, but like here, here here's this here's the background story. So um I created an organization together with two close friends that called Dave and Mike Rapovar, they're two brothers. And um and the intention was to create a values-driven organization, a startup um, that would create products that would help people to lead more meaningful lives. And at the beginning, we felt like we wanted to define what success would be like, not by the money, by the traditional form of like how you define a startup success, but through the life that we wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And that's what the manifesto became. Mm. And I remember it that um, the manifesto kind of came together quite spontaneously. Um, I also remember that one of the three, like Dave, um, he was really like the main person who like was like, oh, I have an idea. And he just wrote something down and shared it with us. And maybe we added something. That's how I remember, but it came together very quickly. And, <clears throat> and then it was on our website just as a text mm -hmm. for quite a while. And people didn't really read it, but it was not a, nothing much happened. And then at some point, um, someone in our mm, ecosystem, the whole ecosystem offered to design it the mm -hmm. way it's designed now. And then it started to spread um, quite a bit online. And that's kind of when when it yeah. became more than it is. Um, started yeah. to spread like fire, right? Because it is, it's been shared more than 120 million times. <laughs> it's been shared a lot, yeah. There's even people who have tattooed it onto their bodies. Mm, it's beautiful. So here it goes. This is your life. Do what you love and do it often. If you don't like something, change it. If you don't like your job, quit. If you don't have enough time, stop watching TV. If you're looking for the love of your life, stop. They will be waiting for you when you start doing things you love. Stop overanalyzing. All emotions, um, life is simple. All emotions are beautiful when you eat. Appreciate every last bite. 
Open your mind, arms, and heart to new things and people. We are united in our differences. Ask the next person you see what their passion is and share your inspiring dream with them. Travel often. Getting lost will help you find yourself. Some opportunities only come once. Seize them. Life is about the people you meet and the things you create with them. So go out and start creating. Live your dream and share your passion. Life is short. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I've seen that, you know, there's like many things online that have retweeted it, that have it in their web page, that you can buy it and so on. So congratulations on <laughs> sharing this piece of knowledge that it seems that, you know, it gave a lot of value to many people. So thank you for sharing uh -huh. that knowledge. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing. And you know, it's it's uh, that's now fourteen years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a while back, and mm -hmm. um, and I think it felt right for that time. Like we were in our twenties, we were young, excited single man in New York City, and like you know, wanting to live that lifestyle. I'm not sure if I would write it the same again like life is about the people you meet and the things you create with them absolutely i think that's still at the very center for for uh, for me um but i think it was the right thing for that time um um but um maybe you yeah. can also do the new version of the hosting manifesto like having the manifesto updated every decade of your life in your 20s and your 30s on your 40s. yeah maybe <laughs> you know it, it can be a strange experience when if you put a lot of emotion and values into, let's say a document, mm -hmm. uh, if that goes really viral, really viral, it's kind of strange. Mm. It's kind of strange because it's like, um, it, it, it led almost a little bit for me personally, almost a little bit like so many people saw it and connected with it that it almost there was a gap between me and, and it then at some point it mm -hmm. almost became other people's manifesto to some extent. I, I didn't, I stopped reading it. I stopped looking at it like, um, like my own philosophy because it became so, so, um, yeah, kind of popular in some form. It became like other people's and, and that's an interesting observation because it's like, okay, like, I feel like these values thing and these days it's become very popular that organizations have, values and manifestos it's like an advertising thing it's like a marketing thing but if you truly believe in those values it's quite it's very personal it's very personal and and uh, and um, yeah and I, I i think not and to have them like don't know i don't quite know what where i'm going with this but it's it's uh it was an interesting experience <laughs> and i think it shows authenticity this manifesto shows authenticity and it could be on other other manifestos from other brands that sometimes it could be just because of marketing or just because of brand positioning i don't know but this one yeah. kind of like felt that was written from the heart and that's i know but here's the thing like authenticity if it feels authentic is one thing but true authenticity is if you then end up if i who am like you know help like create it like really live that way and and the living it is always much harder than the saying it you know and and um and that's where true authenticity i think comes from and i i, I don't think we were inauthentic i do think we, that was was our lifestyle um and um 
I don't know. I think now I, I, for me, it's become more important to, I don't know if I will share my, my personal next manifesto with the world. I think it's something just for me. Yeah. Privacy, of course. And I think that real authenticity sometimes comes from thinking, doing, and being. With exactly. Co with coherence. Exactly. Exactly. And the being part is, is the hardest part. Of course. Of course. And it's actually, we are completely accountable for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you know it where you're faking it or where you're, where you're real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Hi, Vivian. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your magic, your knowledge, your experience with Luan. And I would like to close by asking you a few questions. Ideally, if yep. you can answer with one or a few words, just, just kind of like try to keep it short. There's no right or wrong answer. Just kind of like response, whatever comes to your heart first. But cool. Great. what is art for you? Life. Your favorite author? Uh, right now, Charles Eisenstein. An advice that changed your life? Never confuse someone's outside with your inside. The best quality in humans? Generosity. A book that you recommend? Um... <laughs> Impact Networks by David Ehrlichman. Mm, nice. Create connections by collaboration. Love it. What feeds your soul? Good food. The most pressing issue for humanity? Relationships. If humans can agree on this, you will be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Chill out. <laughs> what would you like to scream to the whole world? Mm, chill out. <laughs> Something that you expect with joy in 2022. I didn't hear it. Say it one more time. Something that you expect with joy in 2022. Summer. The last one, what is it that you have lived that no one could miss experiencing it? Say it one more time. What is it that you have lived that no one could miss experiencing it? That I would recommend other people to experience it. Mm -hmm. um, hiking. Hacking, hiking, hiking. Yeah. Hiking. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Amazing, Fabian. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to have you here in Luan Podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your magic, everything that you've seen in your long career about community building. And thank you so much for uh, sharing it with, uh, with us. So thank you so much for, um, for all of your magic. Thank you, Mariam, for having me. It's my pleasure. Want to keep the conversation going? Luan, the world's first emotional museum, designed a global online experience to inspire and explore. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, and visit our site at luanmuseum.com to engage creatively. <laughs>